Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I am your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me this morning, I have Pastor John Schubert and Pastor Rick Whitmer, and we've been on a little bit of a summer hiatus, also a COVID hiatus, uh, but we're now back in the office, and we're back recording, so it's good to be back, and it's good to see you guys in person. And we're not wearing masks. <laughs> I, I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to say that. <laughs> we didn't. What? I what, did. What was that? <laughs> can you hear me through my mask? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we were mask-free. Uh, Seriously, you can't. You cannot say that. I'm the COVID supervisor <laughs> for this church. I have a badge. <laughs> but we are we are separated by six feet. If you combine all feet between us, so. <laughs> We're trying our best here. I, again, I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> yes, it is. It's good to be back. Uh, the last interview that we did was with uh, Dr. John MacArthur. That feels like forever ago. And look what that did to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it um, ended it. First time. <laughs> well, back. I mean, nobody has really heard much about him at all. So Since then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, he has been uh, he's been in the news quite a bit lately, uh, and I don't know if we're talking about that today or not. I think we are a little bit, a little bit. It seems related, a little bit. I mean, we're we're homies, <sighs> somewhat, somewhat. Uh, but we are experiencing a lot of events. There's been a lot of things that have transpired over these last few months since we've we've uh, did our last podcast. Uh, you know, we've obviously still been in COVID and we've had riots, Black Lives Matter, people are dying. Uh, things are things are happening at a rapid pace. Um, but none of these things should be surprising, I don't think. Uh, we've, we've been moving in this direction over the last few decades. Uh, but before we get started in in this idea of the gathering storm and Rick I know you you just read a book called the gathering storm by uh, uh, Albert Moeller yeah uh, which is very good book yeah how we got very alarming yeah but you know as Christians we have hope so yeah so so he he got this idea of the gathering storm based off of Winston Churchill's book called the gathering storm. If if I'm correct, where Winston Churchill's looking back at the Treaty of Versailles in mm-hmm. World War at the end of World War One and how that led to World War Two. Now, in Albert Muller's book, as you'll discuss in a little bit here, he he looks at these ideas that have taken place in the past that have kind of culminated in in what we're seeing now as a culture. Um, so let's take a look back over the last century or so and, and look at some of the events that have happened. Uh, that have led us to the point that we are currently in as as a nation. So why don't you guys talk about some events that have led us to the point that we see ourselves as a nation and as as a church? Well, I guess we'll just begin with the big ones. Um, I was born in uh, in the 20th century. <laughs> that is a big one. <laughs> and then and John was born. Yeah. Um, and Jeremy, uh, were you... No, I think you were too. But, um, you know, you're looking at the 20th century, which is we've seen the greatest technological advances combined with the greatest mass destruction 
um, just kind of was doing a mental checklist of what things happened in the church and world that really were, um, you know, life-altering for both the people of God and for the global setting, you know, so kind of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, um, of man. And I think, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century, we really started to continue to reap the, the, the fruit of the post-enlightenment liberalism that came with Friedrich Schleiermacher, who was, who was kind of the father of liberalism. Um, he was trying to um, recover the, quote, credibility of Christianity in the eyes of skeptics who wouldn't believe um, in these fantastic things like a virgin birth or a resurrection of Christ, that God could become man. And he, he said, hey, that's okay. You don't need to embrace those things in order to be Christians. Um, it's really about the spirit behind these things. What are they communicating and how do they make us better people? You know, and there were a whole number of, of theologians that, that fell in line with that thinking, um, especially in Germany. And that had a ripple effect to where in the United States at the turn of the century, there was a, kind of a, a mass crisis, if you will. It, maybe not a crisis. I mean, spiritually speaking, it was a crisis. But um, imagine you're a pastor, right? And, and you buy into all of this, that, that you don't really believe necessarily in a resurrection of Christ or a substitutionary atonement, or a virgin birth, things mm-hmm. that are core doctrines that we look in Scripture and go, if you don't believe those things, you are not a Christian. Mm-hmm. Well, now you have a, a choice to make. Either get a new job or reinvent the church. And so in a, in a big way, there was a reinvention of the church. And that's where we really see the spread of the social gospel, um, where we could just make it about Christian ethics, not Christian doctrine. And we can divorce those two things, do what you will with the doctrine, that's just your private thing, but we are going to act like Christians in the world. So let's take the Sermon on the Mount, um, but divorce it from the Christ who is the point of the Sermon on the Mount, and we'll just try to live that way. So that's what I mean by the liberalism of the church at the beginning of the 20th century. Hmm. You know, you had J. Gresham Machen, um, who founded uh, Westminster Theological Seminary. He, you know, he he was a direct warrior for the church against that. Hmm. But that's what's going on in the church. Okay, so set the context there. But then you have, um, you know, World War One and Two, and all the other wars that together took more lives um, by war than all the rest of, of history. And it was just the bloodiest, um, the bloodiest century, the Great Depression. And, and then this is huge just for culturally what we're seeing, the uh, New Deal uh, New Deal socialism, really, under FDR, hmm. um, on the heels of the Great Depression and on through World War II, really reinvented America in a big way to where some core principles of government that we see in Scripture were just really ignored. And now we have the evolution of really a socialist <laughs> states of America in a large, in a, in a big way over mm-hmm. the past, you know, 80, 80 years or so. Um, we had the rise and fall of communism, which cost over a hundred million lives mm-hmm. and has always been, um, an existential threat to the church in wherever communism holds sway because communism by nature is atheistic by nature requires 
the government to mm. be God. And so there's a reason that the first thing that usually goes with communism is the, is the violent oppression of the church and the abolition of religious freedom. You know, the sexual revolution, beginning with Margaret Sanger's introduction and development of chemical birth control, mm-hmm. um, radical feminism, Moms, even uh, it wasn't so much that moms necessarily worked outside of the home. It's that the home orientation that we see in Titus 2 and Proverbs 31 being holy for your people at home in everything that you do, that went away. Um, That reinvented the family. Legalized abortion was the next domino to fall. The homosexual revolution, the transgender revolution, and now we have to add a plus sign at the end of everything because we don't even, we we can't even keep up with it, Mm -hmm. all the letters. Um. Sorry, that's it. Um, before I keep going on a monologue, I want to take a break and see. John, do you want to insert anything there? <laughs> no, I was enjoying this. Okay. I, was, I okay. was hoping you'd just keep going the entire time. We only have eight minutes, and I thought you pretty much covered it. Is that right, Jared? Good? Yeah. So basically, to quote my friend Leslie Nope uh, from Parks and Rec, um, everything hurts and I'm dying. So, no. <laughs> there, And then what? what's a perfect vehicle for delivering an entirely revolutionary worldview that takes into account all these things and and makes them the normal way of thinking government-run education and i'm I'm not making a comment on that as a, a valid system or not i'm simply saying that what we can't deny you know what we're seeing in the news all around us you know is this is um the incubator for those ideas is let's um let's have state required sex education with transgender explicit teaching in kindergarten here in Washington state, you know, mm-hmm. those types of things. Um, and then and what, what uh, philosophy um, would you say that flows out of? Is that from modernism do you think, or from postmodern? Well, of course it happened during modernism times, sure. but postmodern seems to exacerbate the problem. Yeah. Because morals become um, whatever we define them to be <laughs> right. as a culture. Right. And so in a sense, Pure democracy, which the United States is not, um, says the majority rules. And so if we can get enough what I call cultural capital, if we can get enough people to start throwing their, you know, their politically correct uh, lots in with our basket, it doesn't matter necessarily if they agree with us. We just need enough momentum to where we now have the might and, and yell louder and yell louder. And yep. we will tell you what's right. Right. And if you don't agree we will crush you because we have the resources to do it. And we're, we're kind of seeing this as at a pinnacle right now in our nation. It's yeah, it's alarming. And I think, I think, you know, Jeremy, you said, let's talk about the last hundred years. It goes back further than that, obviously beginning with the fall, but uh, you know, concerning the way American thought has developed, uh, our, our nation was founded on the concept of independence, mm-hmm. um, the separation from authority. As much as we love our country and as much as we appreciate our American history, it was founded on an anti-biblical concept, a rejection of authority, a, a, a lack of submission to governing authorities that God had established. And I think that is even though that's not in the last hundred years, I think it has played into how thought has developed, um, even in the church, the American church particularly. Uh, It is not uncommon to have people 
reject church authority because they have a different opinion personally. Uh, and as, as minor as that sounds, uh, you know, on a practical day-to-day level, this is a, a small picture of the bigger problem, I think, at least. I, I think that, that the, the idea that our country was founded on the philosophy of independence has grown and grown and grown to the point where authority makes no difference whatsoever to anybody. And like Rick said, you know, it's, it's just a matter of who's got the most cultural capital, who's got, who's got the loudest voices, the biggest megaphone. And they try to influence all of culture by that type of, I don't know, uh, pressure, I, I guess I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, and that's a really interesting conversation, just looking at the theological context of our independence as a nation. Um, a totally different podcast, <laughs> maybe, you know, and, you know, some people called it the Presbyterian Revolution because it was so heavily um, led by there were regiments that were led by clergy hmm. who were, you know, and, and the doctrines of the lesser magistrate, just different things play into that. But I think the point, you know, something that John said that really plays out is the the context of that individualism. It has ripple effects. And that's not to say, you know, that that's right or wrong, but we can see what the human what human nature does mm-hmm. with ideas mm-hmm. when they're not submitted to biblical truth. You know, I think we're we're, you know, we're right down the street a few hours from Seattle and I just drove through Portland coming back from my in-laws um a, a few days ago and um I, I truly believe that the age the age group that we're seeing rioting violently in those cities, um destroying property is is an age group where we're seeing what the fruit is of a full generation whose parents now went mm-hmm. through that entire cycle with psychologists telling them, don't spank your kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, okay, well, what, what happens when you don't spank a child who's out of control? In they become state? very nice citizens. Oh, yes, so good. Yeah, yeah. they never throw tantrums. Never. And we're never not burn down about, buildings. Nope, and we're not talking about abuse, by the way, because I know some, a dissenter will say that. We're talking about biblical discipline. Um, well, now we're seeing what happens when toddler tantrums become grown-up tantrums, mm-hmm. and there was never a submission to authority ever taught or required. It's well, and, and, and like I said earlier, this doesn't start 100 years ago. Right. The, our, our fall into sin was, in fact, mm-hmm. a declaration of independence. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what it was. I mean, God, we are independent of you. We don't need you. We don't want you in our lives. We're capable of running it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, get out of our way. Mm-hmm. And it, this has been, I think, the common thread of human sin since day one. And now we're bearing the fruit. Oh, yeah. we, we are seeing the fruit born right in front of our eyes to its fullest extent. Yeah, and sin has a way of when we just keep, when we give into it and give into it and give into it, and it becomes more and more the norm to the degrees that we go to achieve it, um, it compounds. It has a snowball effect. Even in the church. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Paul, you know, looking in New Testament terms at what the writers look at as the last days, you know, we understand that we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, but Paul, what does Paul say about it? 
He says here in his last letter, you know, so the second to last chapter he wrote before he died, 2 Timothy 3, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, um, (laughs) slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. Boy, you can read that up against anything we're seeing right now and go, I guess he was right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, for some reason, of course, I, I have ADD, but um, when you were talking, I was thinking of the, the movie Hook. Oh, yeah. With Dustin Hoffman <laughs> as Hook. Mm-hmm. And one of the Lost Boys, when they were in a fight with Hook, said, uh, your mommy didn't do a good job with you <laughs> <laughs> in that movie. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and and uh, like, this is the problem. This is uh, the problem. Our, our mommies failed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and look at all these oh, rioters man. in Seattle and everywhere else in the world. We just yeah. need to say that publicly. Your mommies failed. <laughs> and, your, and your daddies... Where were they? Where were they? And, you know, there's um, a poem that was written in the later 1800s, and the line that sticks out to it, just talk about the dignity and crucial importance of biblical motherhood. It says, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Hmm. Well, what hand is ruling the world right now? And what seeds were sown in the childhood of that generation? And it's not just one generation. I mean... Never mind. I'm, I'm going to digress well, here beyond this. What's this? <laughs> is it salvageable? Is the question? Yeah. Is it salvageable outside of the return of Christ? Mm. Is maybe a better question. Mm. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that's the. Yeah. No, no I was going to. I think that's worth discussing in this context. Yeah. Yeah, we so, have to, right? Because yeah. otherwise, we can complain all day about what's wrong. Right. We know why it's wrong. Right. But where do we go? Yeah, and I think the church, the the faithful church, mm-hmm. are. Are the ones who have to stand up, and they have to—they have to be a voice. They have to be heard. They have to, you know, say and preach and teach what's right. Right. Um, yeah. So that's that's my next question: is 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 it too late for the church to step in and uh, have a fight in this battle, if you will? Um, can we can we gain some ground in this secularized nation? Well. What's our eschatology? I mean, there there are some eschatologies that that would argue that the world is going to get better and better and better because of the activity of Christians in the church. And then when it's good enough, when we've got this thing figured out, then the Lord will return. Um, we got to we got to you know make the bed, sweep the floors, and get this planet ready for the return of Christ. And so we need to, as a church, do something about it. Um, we do need to do something about it, but our activity isn't what's going to bring Christ back. Uh, and ultimately, that is the final and only solution, complete solution. Sure. I think the church still has much work to do, and I'm happy to see that there are churches and pastors that, that we all appreciate and have talked about. One that we interviewed on a podcast here a while back, standing up in the face of the loss of religious liberties and saying something 
Um, and I'm so thankful that he's doing that, and the church, his church is willing to stand up and, and kind of lead the way, um, you know, create the furrow for the rest of us to walk in. And I'm, I'm, uh, I think that the church has these kind of things to do, and I think that the church can have an influence, an impact, as it has in centuries past, not to the solution of man's sin problem and an ongoing uh, degeneration of humanity. I don't think that's ever going to change till Christ comes back. But there's instances all over human history, or church history at least, where the church interjected itself into the culture and made a profound difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of the, the slave trade in England. That was a profound interjection from the church that made that happen. You know, and it's the same with even uh, <clears throat> false religion. The true church interjected itself in the 1500s mm-hmm. through certain men and made a, <laughs> a history-altering um, impact. So yeah, to answer your question in a general sense, it's not too late is what the church is called to. We're called to stand and uh, we're called to teach and called to preach against the, the, you know, the powers of darkness that surround us and um, make an effort knowing that the only real true and long-lasting eternal solution is Christ and his return. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at, look at time. I mean, look at uh, the Roman Empire under Constantine. Mm-hmm. Talk, you know, did that? That mean, yeah, the, a Christian emperor on the throne, someone who seems like he took the faith seriously. Did that bring in the kingdom? It did not. Um, when you had, we were really close. Boy, though. Oh, I'm glad it didn't though, because then we would have been nothing. Yeah, <laughs> right. You know why doesn't why doesn't Jesus return? He says he wants to. Well, <sighs> do you want your grandkids in the kingdom or not? Yeah, and that's kind of the point. That right, is the point Peter makes. Right? When they're like, why is he waiting? Yes. He's the persecuted Christians were asking. And he yes. says, hey, the Lord's not going to slow in keeping his promise. Yes. But who's the promise to? Yeah. Generations yeah. off. Right. You right. know, when you look at England um, with Puritans and Anglicans in power over Parliament, did that bring in the kingdom? No. It, you know, so what do we look at as success? Right. Because we're not about, we're, we're about world impact, but that's not our mission as the church. It's a, it's an effect of being faithful. Yeah, it's required of a steward to be found faithful. faithful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But what is the mission? It is to preach the Christ who is going to bring the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the goal is not so that we can have a better world. No. It's that he will have the glory, right? And so once the church realizes that the point in all of it, faithfulness always has the glory of Christ mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. its north star, mm-hmm. other things fall into line. One of the things that Moeller talks about in his book on secularism, as he's sounding the alarm that's uh, of a storm that's rapidly coming, with you know that we've we've already rehearsed the swells that have come and how quickly they're coming now, uh, he says one effect is going to be that the true church will be revealed, mm-hmm. because now there's no cultural brownie points to saying you're a Christian and belonging to a local church. Who needs it anymore, right? You're not gonna, you don't get better standing. Oftentimes, it works against you. So we'll see the exodus of professing Christians who actually aren't part of the true church. So that's actually one benefit: mm-hmm. is that true religion will be shown by its fruit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that we do as far as a way forward is to lean heavily on what we know and tr- love about God, um, that he's sovereign, that he is uh, the Savior who is building his church, and that not even the gates of hell um, can prevail against it. You know, so that's that's something to keep in mind. We can get up in the morning for that promise. Um, we look at how he commanded his people in the exile to Babylon. What did he command them to do? I mean, they were in Babylon, and it was only for 70 years. Mm-hmm. But he said to them in Jeremiah 29, 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, go, bless the city, pray for it that you live in, and be my people there, because your location doesn't change your mandate in your call. And when we do that, that shows a kind of neighbor love that is in the spirit of what Jesus was talking about, I think, when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? The more Christ-centered and faithful we are to what Christ has called us to do, which as a church, corporately, is always the Great Commission. And by loving our neighbors as ourselves, both in the stewardship of, of our politics, in the activities we're involved in, in how we try to bless those around us, um, that kind of love has a preserving effect that that stems the tide of the evil that is natural to the human condition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about things that we can do. Um, you know, Paul was addressing the Romans, a Roman church, um, in Romans 13, verse 11, where he when he said that <clears throat> that the return of Christ is nearer now than when he first believed. And he was talking about the darkness that was falling in around them, the, the, the difficulty that the church was facing. He says, besides this, um, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. So Christians, stop being sleepy, stop being lazy, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is something that motivates us. This is something that that gets us out of bed in the morning, as you said, Rick. Uh, when we see the foundations crumbling, when we see all against us, when we see that swell that looks bigger than we can handle coming at us as Christians, our motivation is this, that our salvation is nearer now than yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's it's <laughs> that just that close. Mm-hmm. The Lord is at hand, Paul told the Philippians. He goes, he's right there. He's at the door. And, and so instead of getting discouraged, depressed, and thinking, and being t- or, or even tempted to think that, in fact, God has lost control of his universe, we are more committed to the reality that this, in fact, is all in his plan and necessary mm-hmm. to bring about his greatest glory, um, the accomplishment of his purposes on this planet. So, yeah, wake up. Mm-hmm. And now is... A great opportunity. Now is the perfect time to be a Christian. You know, what more exciting time in the history of the church has there been than now to be a believer? Mm. It's an amazing opportunity that we have. Mm. And I, I think when we get to heaven, if we remain faithful throughout eternity, we'll have people coming up. How was it to live in the 21st century? <laughs> that must have been amazing. During COVID. During COVID, being a Christian, (laughs) opposing the government, (laughs) standing firm, loving the neighbors that even shout you down. Mm -hmm. And how was it to be a a Christian in that century? Tell us about it. You know, what what an opportunity. What a 
something to look forward to. Well, yeah, just thinking about God being consumed with his own glory. Um, Rick, I, your point that you made that, you know, our goal in what we do isn't to make a change so that we can have a better life yeah. here. It's it's for the glory of Christ. Right. And if that's, I think if that's our perspective, the church will be as faithful as it can possibly be. Yeah. In, in mm-hmm. how it presents the gospel, how it loves its neighbors, how it, you know, sheds light on the gospel of Christ in everywhere it goes. You know, I think about, you know, John Patton, the missionary down to, uh, you know, the South, the, uh, South Pacific. Um, you know, his goal when he went down there wasn't to change cannibals into not cannibals. Right. His goal was to see people transform for the glory of Christ yeah. into worshipers. Um, and I think a lot of Christians, even now today in America, is it's our concern is is to making our nation back what it once was. Right. You know, instead of seeing the glory of Christ uh, growing. And that's, you know, when you, and that's a, a real pitfall that American Christians, can, I'm sure Christians anywhere can do, but, you know, we hear about it perhaps more because of the nature of our republic. Um, we can have those conversations without fear of reprisal, at least mm-hmm. for a little while longer. But, you know, Christians who lose sight of the Christ-centeredness of all things um, might functionally place their hope in the political process. Mm-hmm. And to put that in perspective, you know, John, you mentioned, you mentioned eschatology. Our eschatology is we believe that Christ is coming with a kingdom to earth, mm-hmm. and he'll reign there for a thousand years. And what does Revelation 20 say is going to happen after a thousand years of Jesus on the throne on earth? So let's talk about any presidency you could possibly imagine doesn't even compare to the to the reign of Christ. And at the end of that, there's a rebellion. So, yeah, is our hope going to be? Yes, in... Jesus is going to have 250 uninterrupted terms, <laughs> and they're still going to revolt at the end. I know, yeah. <laughs> Let's just call it a day, you know. But we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, which means, you know, and that's another domino that fell on the church in the 20th century. The battle for inerrancy in some ways was won, but sufficiency has gone by the wayside. We've Mm -hmm. seen that with proliferation of secular psychology in the church, but we've also seen it with um, the fact that in many ways the church has forgotten that the scriptures are sufficient for our politics. Politics are, you know, this is not a bad word. That's not something Christians should avoid, but because we believe these words in scripture, we do, we have very specific, you know, boundaries Mm -hmm. to be faithful Mm -hmm. within that because that too is a stewardship it's not our rights, it's a stewardship, and we'll be held accountable. I think one of the things, Jeremy, you said is important to reiterate, and that is our goal here isn't to return to the lifestyle that we feel comfortable in right. as, as 1975 Christians or 1985 Christians or 1945 Christians, whatever your comfort Christianity would, would remind you of. Our our goal is to bring glory to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And f- frankly, if I could say this, we have greater opportunity to bring glory to Jesus Christ today than we did at the height or peak of our comfortable Christianity mm-hmm. when there was the perfect president mm-hmm. in office, when there was a George Republican governor, when there was, you know all these yeah. perfect Christian things. Right. How, how, I mean, I guess you could argue that that brings glory to Christ, but man, we, we, can, we can bring glory to Jesus Christ at every breath mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. with what we're facing, with what we're dealing with. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we've seen this gathering storm taking place as a nation with, with events happening in our country. We've seen a gathering storm within the church as we've moved to uh, more of a liberal mindset uh, with the authority and inspiration of scripture and so on and so forth. Um, but we also see this gathering storm against, against the church. Um, there seems to be uh, uh, the, the state, uh, if you will, is trying to silence the church. Uh, we see this with Dr. John MacArthur. Um, you know, he's, he's been in this legal battle with the state of California um, as he's trying to open up his church, or as he, as he has opened up his church. But uh, my question for you guys is, is twofold here, is, is are we being persecuted as a church? Are we being persecuted as a church? And secondly, if we are being persecuted, should we expect this? Yes and yes. <laughs> we should expect it, right? Why? Why should we expect it, John? Well, because uh, <laughs> most of the New Testament authors said to expect it. Yeah. They said, don't be surprised if you encounter trials of many kinds. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's talking to Christians. So this is totally expected, not, ex- not just expected, but foretold, prophesied mm-hmm. by the New Testament authors, by Jesus himself. He said, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, is it? Yeah. Of course. I mean, it's we've been called to suffer. So, okay, without reality now, since it's it's all throughout the New Testament that yes. we, we're going to be persecuted, how do we think through that as Christians who are comfortable with not being persecuted? Get over it? Is that, is that what we'd say? <laughs> yeah, just just stop it. You know, just, <laughs> you know, um, You're coming around, Rick. I appreciate I, that. No, it's taken <laughs> 10 years, but I... Uh, um, Thank you for that. I, what was I saying? Um, you you know, said stop it. That's they did. Yeah, I did say stop it. Yeah, you stop it. No, <laughs> persecution. Yeah, um, is the church being persecuted? Christians are persecuted in every age in some form. Now, um, there was a sermon um, I heard a few weeks ago that I uh, on persecution that I agreed with completely because I wrote it, and it was from <laughs> Matthew five on the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the final Beatitude, and you know. The Beatitudes are the normal Christian life, and it culminates in persecution. And Jesus doesn't just say that persecution takes a few forms. He says it takes many forms. Mm -hmm. It comes down to reviling or slander, physical persecution. Any number of things can be persecution. So is the church experiencing it? Yes. Does it look here like it does in um, Eritrea? Definitely not, and thanks be to God for that. Mm -hmm. But is what the church is experiencing with COVID restrictions um, persecution? Maybe, maybe not. I think there's... Cert- That's what makes it so hard. I know. There's certainly discrimination going on. Yeah. Like, I mean, we can look at the regulations. There's no question that there's discrimination, but that doesn't make it persecution. No, it doesn't. And 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 there's logical arguments for their the governmental restrictions that we're facing. Mm-hmm. And even though we may disagree with their logic... Sure. ...because of science or personal persuasion of some kind. But we could say... I think, at least maybe I'll just say this, I'll, I can say that we're approaching that type of definition, mm-hmm. right? That, yeah. that we, we are getting close to that. Um, and I, you know, you referred to Mueller's, uh, you know, swells that are coming our direction from the storm that's gathering. These are swells. Mm-hmm. And I think there are obviously churches in other countries who are experiencing you know, tidal waves mm-hmm. compared to us. Mm-hmm. These are simply swells. 
And I think this is a mercy of God, you know, getting the church used to what's coming. You know, when, when, you're, when you're in a storm at sea, what happens first is the swells. You yeah. Know, the swells, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, the wind picks up, and then the sideways rain, and then the raging storms, and then the tidal waves. And, and I think we're in the swells in America of, of the gathering storm, mm. and it, this is God's way of saying, prepare yourselves. And that may scare some people, but again, what is what's what's the bottom line here? It's the glory of Christ. It's mm-hmm. not the comfort of the church or the comfort of Christians. It's the glory of Christ. So I I would say this is not severe persecution, right? At all sure. in America. Sure. Um, I think there's discrimination against Christians and Americans. There's always a distaste in the public eye for Christians. I mean, even in the best of times, there was this kind of um, anti-God sentiment because we're, we're living in two different kingdoms here, right? Mm-hmm. We have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy, and they've always been in conflict. Jesus acknowledged this. He didn't acknowledge it. He taught it, um, and so we have this constantly before us. Now it's just becoming blatant mm-hmm. and obvious. Mm-hmm. So I would say yes to answer your first question. This is a, a measure of increased persecution. Mm-hmm. my answer yeah you know and i think um you know christians so often will focus on we'll try to determine whether or not something's persecution based on the degree of discomfort that's the wrong way to look about it i i believe in in the reason i believe that is because when jesus talks about persecution in matthew five eleven, he says blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely and then here's here's the qualification the litmus test of persecution on my account. Mm-hmm. That's why I said discrimination may be unfair, but it's not necessarily persecution. If you want to know what is persecution, you have to determine is what's happening right now, whether it's very, very minimal and barely noticeable or severe, is it happening because we follow Christ? Mm-hmm. That's how you'll know whether the church is under persecution. And in some states, maybe so. So if they're, if they're putting the same restrictions on sports gatherings then we couldn't say particularly this is against the church. Sure. Now, I know this has been something that's been brought up against, or not brought up against, but brought to the elders, um, is, you know, we're being persecuted as a church. So is this a time in which we step in and say, okay, enough's enough? Um, And you guys obviously have come to the conclusion that it's not at that point. Um, How how is that... uh, helped you guys think through, um, you know, our local body church here, um, when it comes to this idea of persecution, as you, as we think of the gathering storm, the gathering waves, how do you, how do you approach, uh, the flock here at Sun Valley church in, in, uh, preparation, I guess, for, um, the bigger waves that are coming as you were, you're speaking of. Um, you, are you asking how do we prepare our flock, or how do we think of it as, as elders? What are you asking? Exactly? Uh, I guess I guess kind of both. How are you? How do you think through this as elders? But also, how are you? How did? How does uh, preparing the flock for persecution? What does that look like? Well, I I think the scriptures um, are about Christ and His glory, and that is what persecution of the church is about. 
It's about Christ and his glory. So our objective, which really simplifies it for me, and I'm a simple person, so I need this, is you preach the scriptures. Mm-hmm. You, you exalt Christ. You, uh, you teach your people about the glory of Christ and, and the supremacy of Christ over all things and in all things. And you, you just keep remaining faithful to the preaching of the word in season and out of season. Paul said no matter what the season if, if it's a season of, of rest or a season of persecution, preach the word. And so for me, it's simple. Yeah. <laughs> I open up Philippians and I teach the next few verses. <laughs> and that's preparing the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just got through Hebrews. We got done with Hebrews a year or two ago. That's preparing the people. Mm. Um, we, we prepare the people by revealing Christ to them in the scriptures. We, we, we teach them that, that their lives are about him and his glory, not about you and your comfort not about you and your little family. It's about Christ and his church and the glory of, of God in all of these things. And so that's how I'm approaching this. The, I don't know that the elders have had a conversation um, about how do we prepare the people for the, for the onslaught, the inevitable onslaught of persecution. I think we're all in agreement because it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. You preach the word. You, you open up the book and, okay, what's next? It uh, looks like chapter 4, verse 3 through, three through 9. That's what's next. Mm-hmm. And so we do. We, that's what we do. Um, and then, of course, we talk about these kind of things. We're podcasting about it right now. Um, but I think that's what we do. We, we're just faithful to the Word. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Lord is not um, surprised by what we're facing. He didn't include a book on preparing for persecution um, in the, the canon. Uh, what we have are the... 66 books which which focus on God's plan for his people, God's love for his people, us being his people, and that includes all things we will face. Mm-hmm. Plenty and want. You know, Paul said he's content on both sides of the equation. And so that's what we teach. And when you're honest in the way that you preach, and I think this church is, I think, um, you know, John, you've never been... Uh, one to shy from saying hard things, and when you're taking the text um, with full integrity and giving it the way it is, you're not playing games with language. You're being honest about what it's going to cost to follow Christ. So someone might not come to Christ as the text is preached the way it is written because they go, "Oh, that doesn't seem very pleasant." But so, but if someone's elect and they hear that, they're going to go, um, "Yeah, I need Jesus." And so you you do everything to take away the barriers of false promises. And let's just take a random sampling of recent books preached. How about Psalm 119? Uh, Well, the psalmist was in the midst of persecution and suffering. How about Hebrews? He said, oh, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Here's the cost of leaving Christ for a comfortable life. How about Philippians? Paul's in prison. He says it's been granted to you to suffer. So it happens to be that either John intentionally chooses books that talk about how hard life is and then you die and go to be with Christ, or the scriptures are rife with preparation, because this is the normal Christian life. Yeah. I thought the book of Philippians was supposed to be a joyful book. It is. It is. <laughs> I'm just missing the point completely. So, <laughs> no, I, I, yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Mm-hmm. You, went Kim, you went King James on that one. Man. Thou you bet. That, that's, that brings me comfort. Thou art. <laughs> hey. It takes me back to the good old days. In King James, the book of Jeremiah is called Jeremy. 
Jeremy the prophet. Yeah. Um, one other thing, you know, as far as you asked. And with that note. (laughs) Goodbye, folks. Jeremy the prophet will be back next week. And um, how are the elders thinking about why aren't we meeting indoors, for example, which Mm -hmm. is the most recent question asked? Here's the here's the line. Does abiding by whatever restrictions are in place at this moment mean that we cannot faithfully do what Christ has called us to? Well, we actually believe that right now at this point, you know, in Yakima, Washington, there's no essential element of gathering as the church that we can't do out back under some sunshades. Not convenient, not pleasant necessarily, but boy, the sweetness of it after not doing it, mm. it's really... And I'm going to use that as an opportunity to exhort our mm-hmm. entire church. Yeah. You know, if... if you are listening to this and you haven't been to one of our outdoor Sunday morning meetings, you need to change that and get there. Mm-hmm. This is the church of Jesus Christ at Sun Valley gathering to worship our mm-hmm. Savior together yeah. mm-hmm. and hear the word preached and sing songs and pray and, and exalt the name of Christ together. And it is no different, period, than meeting indoors mm-hmm. with air conditioning. Right. In yeah, fact, it- I would say it may be even more significant because of our circumstances. Context. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciated I appreciated Dennis a few weeks ago as he was starting the liturgy. He kind of rattled off a few, you know, these nations that are meeting outdoors and they're swatting the flies and they're sweating and it's hot and but they're there to gather as the body of Christ. And, you know, it is it inconvenient Absolutely, it is inconvenient. Well, how many uh, American Christians would think that they were being persecuted if they had to meet with the church in Brazil, right. in the jungle? Right. This is such persecution, man. I had to, I had to dodge two snakes, and I'm in here swatting flies. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is persecution. Yeah. You know, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, John, to add to your point of preaching Christ and glorifying Christ through the preaching of your word, you have to have the church, too. If if you're gonna face persecution through the onslaught, you know, you you do that with the church. Right. And if you're not a part of the church, yeah, you're <laughs> you're gonna flee from persecution. Yeah, right. Um. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a good conversation. I'm glad we uh, we talked about it. It's there's nice to a, do it again. There's been a lot that has happened in the last two and a half, three months. Oh man, yeah. This year has this whole decade actually. It's just been through the ringer. There was a, so far. <laughs> I was listening to a news program right as right as COVID was happening, uh, and uh, it's when the killer bees came out too. Oh, the murder hornets! The murder hornets! Oh. And the news the news <laughs> the news podcast started off with, and just when you didn't think it was going to get any worse, killer hornets arrived. <laughs> killer hornets with COVID. Yeah. Yeah. How do we know that common grace is a real thing? Memes. Yeah. <laughs> Memes have gotten us through. You know, God's common grace. And my favorite meme that I saw uh, in relation to, to murder hornets is uh, Mark Wahlberg looking off into the distance with concern on his face. And he says, what are murder hornets and how much toilet paper do I need to buy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we can still laugh even in the midst of all this. Church, we love you. Uh, We look forward to being with you on Sunday. Uh, We hope this podcast has been an encouragement to you. Uh, Yeah, Thanks, guys, for for joining us and and getting back to it. It's a pleasure. (laughs) 
It's fun. It's persecution. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Well, church, we'll see you next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.